This is episode 35 with our first repeat guest, ultramarathoner, philanthropist, and lover of impossible goals, Mr. Joel Runyon. Hey everyone, so glad you're joining me again on the pod today. I've been at the beach actually for almost a week now with my family and man, I'm exhausted. Running around with a four and a two-year-old, digging holes in the beach, swimming, and some lunch beers are certainly tiring, but I'd like to give a big shout out to running. You've kept me in shape enough for my family and for these physical vacations and I wanna thank you for that. Running just makes everyday life a lot easier and I'm pretty sure you think so too. And so speaking of easy, that's not what we're talking about today at all. Joel Runyon, the man who ran seven ultras on seven continents to raise money for seven schools, is back. First, if you haven't already, go back and listen to episode 33, so this episode makes a little bit more sense. We'll be talking more about the challenges and obstacles that Joel faced with this epic project, the impact it's had around the world, and the lessons he's learned and what he would change if you were to do it all again. And a big thanks to our sponsor, Health IQ, an insurance company that helps health-conscious people get special life insurance rates. Head on over to healthiq.com slash strengthrunning to see how your running can help you save on insurance. All right, who's pumped for this show? I know I am. Let's dive in and start talking to Joel. Joel, welcome back to the Strength Running Podcast. You're our first guest to make two appearances on the show. I like it. I'm all about setting records. It's cool. Yeah, you certainly are. So speaking of records, on episode 33, we talked about the 777 Project, an ambitious project to run an ultra on every continent in order to build seven schools in developing countries. We talked all about the origins of the project, your training, planning, and the gear that made it all possible. And so today what we're going to do is dive into some of the lessons that you learned from it, the obstacles that you overcome, and the impact that this project has had around the world. So let's start with obstacles, the challenges, the hurdles that you had to clear to uh, make this project possible and to finish all seven ultras all over the planet. Um, did you ever think about quitting? A couple times. So there was the first, we, we could talk about some of the obstacles in the individual races. So, um, but the, the big thing that happened right as you know, I, I had this idea I, I start getting ready, um, like start getting my mind around like, okay, this is something I'm going to do. And I start like picking out the races and getting the logistics lined up and all doing all the things that you need to do to like plan something like this out. And then, you know, part of it was the fundraising aspect. So I was planning on like telling everybody about it. And so I get all, all kind of the pieces lined up and I launch this thing. And then like a month later I go down to Patagonia and I run the first race and like 26 miles in, I just completely wrecked my ankle. Uh, it really just messed up my peroneal tendon really badly. And um, had to do like six months of rehab right out the gate. I finished the race. Uh, like I hobbled the last like 13 miles, which I don't recommend anyone else does. Uh, that probably sent me back a lot farther. But um, basically I had to come out of that and then did six months of, of rehab uh, straight away. And then um, – kind of like a bunch of non-running related stuff happened where like I had a couple um, like uh, lawsuits and legal issues with my business and other things came up that just were like extra curricular non-running related. And um, there was a point where 
Um, I don't, I don't know if I thought about quitting, but I put it to the side because I needed to focus on rehab and all these other things. And then they took so long that I didn't necessarily think about quitting, but I had this kind of unfinished thing. And I, um, it wasn't like I was in the middle of it. It was just like, I have to put this, put this aside to like deal with some other more urgent things in my life right now. And then I kind of had a come to Jesus moment where I realized like, Hey, this thing is still out there. It's still unfinished. And, uh, you, you haven't finished what you said you were going to do. And I basically had to decide at that point, you know, whether or not I, uh, I was going to, you know, pick it back up and, 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 and finish it out. And, um, after that, after the rehab and after all the, the lawsuits and like changing how, um, like I, my, my fitness level and my running level had, had dropped off quite a bit cause, um, I had taken so much time off of my, um, off my legs that I didn't know if I could do it or not. And so there was a big point there. Um, and right before I did Chicago, I didn't tell anybody uh, on Chicago cause I kind of had this mental game going on where I was like, last time I did all this work, I told everybody and then like, I immediately hurt myself. Like I need to do this one for me and just see if, um, if I can do it. And, um, so I kind of did Chicago on the low key and, um, just ran it for myself to kind of like, Hey, you know, this isn't like the longest race you're going to do, but you can get back into the game. You can, uh, kind of reestablish your, your mindset and your confidence and, um, you know, start back up. So, um, there was that big, uh, you know, big setback, right. As soon as you get really excited about something, you tell some people you're going to do it. You're in the middle of this awesome race in this beautiful location and bam, like you have an injury happen and, um, you know, I've had a athletic career where I've done a lot of sports, I've done a lot of training, and I've never really had any serious injuries. And so that was like a big first really bad injury that I've had that sidelined me for um, six months to the point where I couldn't train even if I wanted to. So um, that was a big obstacle that I had to overcome uh, <laughs> pretty early on in the race. And, it, and a lot of it didn't even have to do with the, the things that I thought I was going to have to deal with, the, the racing, the you know, the terrain, um, you know, it was like extracurricular stuff and injuries. So, um, that was kind of frustrating. Yeah. I can't imagine undertaking this, this wildly ambitious project. And then you're not even done with the first race and you get injured. I just can't believe it. And you had to wait six months to rehab this injury to, to even begin talking about, you know, the next race that you were going to do. Uh, what was the original timeline for the project? Did you have one? Were you thinking I can do this, you know, one ultra a month or something like that, you know, get it done in, in seven months or, or how are you thinking about that? So the original timeline was actually spaced out a lot more reasonably than like my, the last part of how I actually ended up finishing. But the, the idea was, um, you know, an ultra every other month or so. So it was going to be 12 to 13 months that it was going to take. And um, I had it spaced out. But also when I started out, I, I specifically had this thing in the back of my mind where I didn't really know if I could do this. I thought it was like a really big project. And um, I, I remember having this thing. I'm like, I don't know if I could pull that timeline off. And the interesting thing about it is that you know, we, we talked uh, on the last podcast about like I was really dialed in on the training and everything, but I didn't do necessarily mobility work and I didn't necessarily do um, any strength work before I got hurt. And the funny thing about it was, um, you know, 
I, I kind of having the injury, having these setbacks allowed me to tweak a lot of the t training things to, you know, kind of better prepare me to not be so injury prone um, on some of the longer races. But also having these setbacks and then having to build myself up from basically zero um, and going to Chicago and not really telling anyone about it. That sort of forced me to have more confidence in myself, and the end of you know the the, the end timeline that I ended up doing, you know, I ended up doing five races in in three months. And I remember early on, I thought like, oh, one ultra every two months is is a lot, and I ended up doing one ultra every like two two and a half weeks um, <laughs> at that you know the last little section of it. And so that was one thing that um, it was a mindset thing, it was a confidence thing that. I was able to sort of build up piece by piece that I don't know um, would have been there from the get-go if I didn't have to go through some of the, the difficulties that I went through. It's almost like those setbacks made you into a better ultramarathoner because I think without the setbacks, you don't learn from those. And you know, I think a lot of people who go on to do big things, to succeed in life, to cross off, you know, enormous accomplishments from their, their bucket list or their impossible list, as you might call it, Joel. Uh, these are people who look at setbacks as learning experiences. So, you know, was that first injury an injury that caused you to reevaluate your training and preparation? And then uh, were you more mindful of the strength and mobility work afterwards? Well, it was one of those things that it, I came into rehab and I was like, this is, this sucks, right? Like I've, I've never really had, um, you know, a pretty extensive athletic background, never really had any big injuries. And like when someone, you know, when, when your doctor tells you you can't do X, Y, Z, I get really mad at him because I'm like, of course I can. You just, you know, don't understand. And then, then you go out and I actually went out and I was like, I'm just going to try to run on it. And, you know, I was regularly doing like 20 mile weekends, um, long runs or whatever. And, and, and I went out and I could, I could barely make it like a quarter of a mile down the road. And I was like, something's wrong. Like it, it went from, it went from, this is painful to like, this is not, this is, this is wrong. Um, and so, um, one of the things I realized was kind of my, um, my, the, the problems, the problem that I had, um, when I came down, um, and rolled my ankle was exacerbated by the wind and um, the terrain that I was running in and just kind of like the, the, the weird, unique situation that it was. But when I started talking to some of the physical therapists, we started looking at like my hip alignment and we started realizing a lot of stuff in my, uh, a lot of stuff that was wrong with my stride because um, one hip was tighter than the other. And so one leg was slightly shorter than the other. Uh, and so then it affects your stride and it, um, you know, it kind of affects where your, um, um, you know, where the placement, um, of my foot was every time I, I hit the ground. And so that was, I didn't know anything about that until we kind of like had an injury that made me slow down enough to pay attention to it. And, um, so that kind of woke me up to, uh, the power of physical therapy, power of massage, power of, um, mobility work on a regular basis. And that was something that I just had to like, take in and set my mindset on and just do like throw throw something on <laughs> I don't watch that much TV but you throw something on the TV and then you use that time to be like okay I'm just going to do mobility work and, and try to keep this entertaining because it hurts so much and it's so boring otherwise that uh I just have to do something and so that was one thing that I just started working on on a regular basis and adding into my um 
uh, adding into my routine. Um, even when I couldn't get like a perfect run in, I'd be like, all right, I'm going to try to do something with mobility because I have to fix these imbalances um, on either side. And um, it's not just affecting, you know, my hips or my hip flexors, but it's having cascading effects on the rest of my body. And um, that was sort of one of the, I'd known about those types of concepts, but I never really took the heart. And when you can't run for six months and you have to just look this stupid foam roller or you look at the lacrosse ball and you're like, all right, I guess we're, this is what I'm doing today. Um, that drives it home quite a bit more. Oh, absolutely. And I'm going to go off on a little tangent here, but, uh, I think anybody who's, who's really familiar with my work or how I coach knows that I'm, uh, very bullish on hip strengthening exercises for runners and not just strengthening, but also mobility and proper functioning of the hip. And I think it's very telling that your physical therapist met with you, probably did an eval and looked at some of your mechanics and strengths and weaknesses. And they found out that your ankle injury was exacerbated by a hip uh, abnormal function uh, in your hip. So, you know, I think as runners, we have to give our hips a lot of care and attention uh, because, you know, that is really the main muscle that drives, you know, the power of your stride. You know, it's really the hip and the glute. And so if you have any kind of dysfunction in those muscles, if they're weak, if they don't work properly, if they're immobile because they're not simply not flexible enough, then you're going to have problems and not necessarily in the hip or glute. They might be further down the chain, just like in your case, Joel, in your ankle. Uh, now, was that the only other injury you had during this whole thing, uh, even during the final you know, a couple months where you did, I think five was five ultras in three months, something crazy like that. Yeah. So I had a, um, I had a toe injury in Finland where I basically, I was out there for like 12 hours or something like that. It got real cold and, um, um, you're running on uh, packed snow and ice. And so there's no real, like, there's no real give to that. It's not even like running on, um, it's, it's different than any other terrain that I've ever run on because there's no give. Um, it's kind of like, it's kind of like running on concrete, but you're running with like trails. Like it was a weird, um, situation. And so, um, we had three or four different types of terrain throughout that race. And by the end of it, um, my toe had like, I could feel it was hurting. Um, and, uh, by the time I, I, I got done, I took it off. I took my, my shoe off, took my sock off and, uh, my, entire right big toe had gotten like black. it was just all black and blue and i was like oh no i like fractured uh my toe and i went into the finnish hospital and they uh they asked me you know um like i i basically took an x-ray and you know like oh it's probably fractured i'm gonna have to take you know more time off and they said no it's not fractured you just worked it too hard and so i don't know if i just like um I don't know if I just really bruised it or what, but after I gave it two or three days, the like the swelling came down, um, and I didn't actually find out um, what was wrong with it, other than I probably just overused it and ran it on um, some real tough terrain that um, you just probably shouldn't do four ultras in two months. So um, that that was you know my my non medical diagnosis, but that was my big scare, and I had a couple other things where. Um, you know, after, you know, uh, a long, slower race, uh, I would have a lot of hip tightness and I would just have to work it out, but it was never to the point where it was an injury or anything. It was just like, all right, this is, you never, like, if you want to run long distances, this is the work that you're going to have to do and you can't slack on it because it will, it will catch up to you. So, 
Um, I was I was fortunate to to not have any other injury issues, but it was also a function of um, having much more of a focus on mobility work, having much more work focus on uh, some strength work. Um, whereas I think you know when I you know when I was just doing one off races here and there, um, I was trying to kind of cheat the system and and not really pay the the full fare and uh when i when i put them back to back to back um i really had to uh make a bigger effort to 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 stay strong stay mobile and uh keep doing that type of work so through it all through racing through antarctica being in absolutely sub-zero frigid temperatures in finland uh, I know your race in Thailand was particularly brutal, I think, because of the terrain and the heat, perhaps. But, you know, was was the element of philanthropy and service the only thing that made you persevere and get all these races done? I mean, really, what made you what made you go through uh, this kind of an ordeal? Because what I think is most impressive about it is not just, hey, I ran an ultramarathon in Antarctica or, you know, in negative 20 degrees out in Finland. Those things are impressive by themselves, but I think what makes this so impressive is the sum total of all of the work that you did, all of the races that you did, uh, the fact that you raised over $190,000 for Pencils of Promise. What made you go through this kind of challenge and get to the finish line of, of the 777 project, even though it took so much longer than you initially hoped for? Um, yeah, so that's a good question because, uh, um, I think one of the things is that, uh, I have sort of an internal mantra that's, uh, I like to do the things that I'm say I'm going to do. And so if I, if I get to the point where I'm going to say something that I'm going to do X, Y, Z, it's usually our, like in my mind, it's already done. Like I might have running to do, I might have like the projects to do, I might have to figure some stuff out still, but it's already done in my mind. And, um, at all the races, um, every time I showed up to the race, the start line, um, I I was finishing the race no matter what. And I, I basically, I, I did all the bargaining. I did all the, um, you know, like, oh, you know, what are the scenarios that, like, you know, I'd be okay, like, walking off or, like, you know, calling it in. And it just, like, that was never an option uh, in any of the races. Uh, unless I was going to like be hauled off. And even, even in the first race, like after I messed up my ankle, I was like, I'm finishing the race. Like I'm in Patagonia. I'm not, not coming back. I mean, I might come back here, but I'm not going to come back here for this specific race, uh, to redo it. So I'm going to finish this race. And, um, you know, that's not from a medical standpoint, that's not always (laughs) the smartest thing to do. Sometimes you need to, you know, know when to, uh, to, to go for broke and, and when to, you know, uh, fight another day. But, um, you know, from the get go, when I launched the project, I, I decided it was something I was going to do. And I, I thought the timeline was what I was going to do, but I originally had to, I had to, I had to revamp that quite a bit, but, um, you know, I sort of have a motto, like I'm not always the fastest. I'm not always, uh, it's not always the prettiest, but like, um, you know, if I say I'm going to do something, it's going to get done. And, um, that's a internal, um, congruency I try to keep. And then, um, you know, when it comes to races, uh, you know, part of the reason, you know, part of the reasons that ultras are appealing to me. And I think the type of people that do ultras do them for the reason is there always is a point in the race where you're tired. You're always going to be tired or sore. Or you're going to want to quit. And, and that's 
the reason why to the races and and um you know it's it's part you know partly for the story part partly for like you know like like hey i'm i'm all the way out here like i i, I came up with this crazy idea i told a bunch of people and we're doing it for you know charity so you really can't back out but um you know all those reasons are nice additional things but the core thing is like uh when i when i I tell people a lot that the race is decided before uh, you get to the start line. And if you have a bunch of excuses in your head on why, you know, you could walk off early or why you could quit, um, you know, or, or give up before you, you, you get to where you want to uh, where you want to go. Um, when those things show up in the race, uh, you're going to have an out. And I just didn't give myself any outs. And I said that unless I get, you know, pulled off the course, <laughs> I'm going to finish this thing. So um, that was sort of my mindset going into it. What I really like about that is you were very rigid in your commitment to the goals and that the goals were, we're going to run an ultra marathon on each of the seven continents. We're going to raise money for pencils of promise. But within that rigid framework, you were really flexible to take some liberties with how you accomplish those goals. So you took that six months to rehab your ankle. You, you know, kind of threw your initial schedule out the window and you, mm -hmm. you had to you had to come up with plan B and plan B included a lot of downtime and then essentially like cramming for a test. You, you put a lot of ultras into a very short time period, but still, you know, you had, you had your goals, but then you were very flexible with how you achieved them. Uh, and, and I think that is, you know, a really good approach to accomplishing big goals like this, uh, physical goals, like running goals, because, you know, if we're, we try to be rigid with our approach to a goal, then we're probably going to be fail. We have to be, you know, really steadfast with, with the goal, whether it's qualify for Boston, you know, finish your first half marathon, run your first 5k or something as crazy as, as what you did, Joel. Um, and you know, hearing, you know, your mentality of, well, I'm here at the race, I'm going to finish it no matter what, unless they drag me off the course this reminds me of David Goggins, and I know you're a big David Goggins fan. He just did something crazy, like he was on a, a stair climber, I think, and he yep. did the <laughs> equivalent of what it would take to climb on your hands and knees, like up to the summit of Mount Everest. Now, yep. did did he kind of influence your your mindset or your mentality going into some of these ultras? Because um, I, I know some of them presented a lot of challenges. Yeah, so so David's been awesome. Um, he was one of the first people that I ever read about ultras, and um, if you don't know who he is, check him out. Uh, David Goggins, DavidGoggins.com. But um, I liked him a lot because he he kind of looks like me. He's a taller, um, bulkier guy, six two, one ninety, which is kind of roughly what I am, and um, not necessarily, you know, doesn't always look like runners. But he talks about the mentality of it, and um, I found him in like 2011, 2012, and he was one of the first people that ever like I found out about ultra running through him. And then, um, like the mindset got me kind of like, I got the sickness or whatever. And then I, I got started to get interested in it. And he's got a saying that, you know, when you think you're done, you've only, uh, you're only about 40%, uh, uh, through what your body is capable of. And, um, you know, maybe that's not, you know, scientifically accurate, but like, I think, I think, 
the the case uh, you know the the notion of that statement is 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 really true. I think a lot of people give up when um, it's hard, when it's when it's uncomfortable, um, and when they have like a, a reasonable explanation for like why they could quit. And um, um, you know, there's a couple caveats to like my specific situations. If you're, um, you know, I've run a lot of uh, different ultras, and I run them for the adventure, for the mindset aspect, and uh, you know, for what it brings out of me. But I'm not necessarily running it for for race time specifically. So if you're, you know, um, you know, racing for a specific time, uh, you know, things are slightly different, but for, for me, you know, every single race, like, you know, the cutoff times are generous enough, especially in some ultras that like, if you want to finish the race, you can finish the race. And, um, a lot of it's just constantly gut checking yourself and not diluting yourself into, um, to, to quitting. And so I always had a motto, like you can, you can slow down, but you can't stop. And if you stop, like, like, as soon as you stop or you, you, you start to, like, you know, question giving up, um, it starts getting easier to do that. And only time I really wanted to quit was uh, on the Thailand race because there were a couple factors into it. One, it was just really hot, and I tend to overheat very easily, and I do much worse in hot races than I do cold races. Um, the other one was just the elevation gain that we had to do. We did quite a bit of elevation gain in the first half of the race, and on the back half of the race, I thought there was just one more climb and um, I was sort of right, but the one climb was like a two mile long hike up uh, this single track and it was just a really, really uh, treacherous, slow going power hike that you really had to do. It was really tough to run up it. Um, the footing was really terrible. And then when I convinced myself I could make up time on the way down, uh, the way down was just as bad of footing and um, it just really burned out your legs. <laughs> on the way up and down that thing because you had to go so slow and everything was so um, slow going that it was just, it was real tough. And so when we came down, we had about another 10 or 15 K left to go. And um, there were a ton of out and backs on the course. So you're running past all these other people that are running back past you that have already gone uh, through the out and back. And <laughs> this is the only time in all the seven races that I was just like, you know what? I could just like, I could just not do this. I could just turn around and like run with these guys. But there's a timing mat um, on the you know the end of the out of back, and you can't do that. But uh, it was just one of those situations where I that was the race. Uh, it's funny because it was a shorter race than you know half the other races. Um, it wasn't that distance, and I just done the Antarctica 100K. So I came in. I was like, ah, oh, feeling pretty good about myself. I just said 100K. I can handle this 50. And uh, it was just really, really tough. And um, but I also knew that going in. And and one of the things that I told myself going in was like, hey, this is your third race in you know five, six weeks. Uh, you had just done this big race. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hot. Um, and so instead of like being broadsided when all those things happened, I just knew they were going to happen. And I yeah, I had a lot of conversations with myself and muttering to myself while I'm running. But um, I also knew it was going to happen. And so, um, you know, at the beginning of the race, I decided what I was going to do. And I had a bunch of stuff happen, you know, like you said earlier with, uh, you know, rigid with the goal. My goal was, you know, come out of this third race in five or six weeks and no, have no injuries and finish the race and, um, you know, be ready for Finland in a couple weeks. Um, and I would have liked to run it a lot faster than I had done it. But, uh, uh, that wasn't in the cards for the day, and it was a, it was a, it was a real tough race, and um, 
but also I knew all the things that were going to be tough about it and I planned for it and I made the bargains with myself at the beginning and when they showed up during the race, uh, I wasn't surprised. And that helps a lot when you know you, you make bargains. I've said this before uh, where you, you tell yourself what you're willing to give up. I'm willing to be give, give up being you know cool for the rest of the day. I'm willing to give up being comfortable. I'm willing to have this be a really, really, really freaking hard race. Um, but uh, I'm going to finish this race. And uh, the race will throw all those different things at you. And you can decide if you're going to keep going. And if you decide ahead of time what you're willing to give up, um, when the race asks of you those specific things, they're way easier to just, sure, take take my comfort. Take, take any semblance of being at uh, a normal human temperature for the next uh, you know, three hours or whatever. Like, take that. That's going to be fine. Uh, I'm going to keep going, and I'm going to finish this thing. Now, this was Thailand. Was Thailand the hardest race out of all seven that you did? Because, uh, you know, looking at if, – if I were to do a destination ultra – and I had to choose between, say, Antarctica and Thailand. I'd be, I'd be signing up for Thailand because I know I'd be like on the beach the next day, sipping a fruity cocktail. Uh, certainly, <laughs> you can't do that in Antarctica. So, was was this one the hardest? So it was in the mountains of Thailand. Um, it was personally the hardest. I don't know if you like look at it objectively whether it's the hardest because there were some longer races in there, and Finland was like maybe a tougher logistical race from a. Um, like sourcing your own water and um, just the fact that like it was self-supported. But for me, the I, I've, I've told people uh, the whole time that Thailand was easily the hardest race for me, just between the heat, um, the type of terrain. Like you're just climbing up through like these single tracks where there's branches everywhere and like you're like pushing stuff out of the way. Like it's not really well marked. Like, um, and it just, you know, it just had my number and it was like, it's, it, you if you've ever had one of those races where it's just the race is coming for you and like you knew you knew it was a 50k you knew it was in like mountainous terrain but you didn't know all the little surprises i had along the way and it just kept um you know i i think i said it's that race tried to break me and there were a couple points where it would have been if i didn't decide beforehand that i was going to finish this race no matter what there have been a lot of set you know a lot of scenarios where i've been like no this is I'm good. Like, and this is, this is after I've done three or four of these other altars where, um, you know, that were, you know, arguably just as tough, but this one, it sort of had my number just from a a variety of things that it threw my way. And, um, you just kind of, you know, put your head down and just keep going and try not to think about it too much. Hearing that just reminds me of the only ultra that I ever attempted uh, and failed at was an ultra here in uh, the Front Range in Colorado in 2015, where there was about 7,500 feet of elevation gain and loss over 32 miles. So it's just over 50K. And I had to drop out after 17 and a half miles because my IT band blew up. But it was the that exact same feeling of you're on this gnarly single track type of trail and you're just going straight up and you're going straight up for such a long time and it's almost harder to turn around and come back down because you know my IT band basically failed me after almost a mile and a half of essentially running down a flight of steps they were like mm-hmm huge rocks built into the side of the mountain just going down this really steep uh, switchback 
on the side of the uh, on the side of the mountain. And my IT band didn't really like that. Um, but just hearing you talk about the terrain and you know the endless uphills and elevation just reminds me of that kind of a race. And you know I probably shouldn't have tried like one of the most technically demanding ultra marathons that you can find uh within an hour or two of denver for my first ultra i should have been a little bit easier on myself so lesson learned um now uh lesson learned let's let's talk about some lessons learned so we talked about a lot of challenges and uh man you had a lot you had so many different uh hurdles in your way uh but you did it you got through you made it through all seven of these ultras um you know looking back on everything, how would you do things differently? What did you, what, what would you say are your top two or three takeaways from running an ultra on, on all seven continents? Um, so, uh, a couple things from a training perspective, I would have put, um, a, a bigger emphasis on mobility and strength work from the beginning. Um, that's something that, that first, <laughs> that first situation, uh, kind of, um, really highlighted for me, that injury. Um, and the other thing that I would have had, uh, like, told myself, and it's a little bit tough um, to just say, like, have it, but I would have said, like, have more confidence that you can go after it and do it. Because I don't even necessarily think I was a better running shape when I did the second attempt afterwards. Um, like I said, I was, I was really dialed in um, on doing um, my training for the first race. And um, I just neglected all the ancillary stuff. And so um, I probably took like 85% of the, the, the running um, roadmap that I had um, when I went out, went out for part two, if you will, and um, just added in um, additional stuff. But I also added in um, like a lot more confidence. And I don't know where that came from um, other than just being like this is – happening like this is happening to the races like this is not the races are not happening to me i'm i'm making this happen and i'm going out and doing this and i know there was a lot of trepidation on my part when i announced it and i I said i was going to do it and um i i don't like i'm not woo woo wee i'm not like oh what but like i think the things that like uh if you're if you're constantly worried about something you know maybe not being able to do something uh, having that confidence is, is, is a real big booster. And sometimes you need to go through a lot of, um, you know, a lot of trials and tribulations to, 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 to earn that. Um, so I don't know if you just get that right away. Um, and then the other thing was just like, um, I, the, even though the, the races that I did, um, or more within a compressed time frame, I, I liked it, uh, because it was, it, it almost seemed more manageable. It seems more manageable to be in ultra shape, like very good, like long distance and state, as long as you're staying healthy for three or four months than to have a project that is seemingly taking on, um, you know, you're training up to it for a year and then you're staying in that type of shape for an entire like 12, 13 month period. And so from me, um, it was really nice to be able to, kind of stack the races, but also not do it in a way that was just haphazard, but have each of the race, uh, each of the races sort of prepare me for something about the upcoming races. And so in a sense, they were, you know, some of them were races, some of them were like, you know, uh, interactive training runs that like I was doing with a bunch of people and, and people are around. So um, 
that was kind of nice to have them serve dual purposes rather than one of the things I got really discouraged early on um, when I was doing just you know my normal long runs. You're out there on a long run on the weekend and you're out there for a few hours and it's like um, it's way better to do it as part of a race. And so like whether or not like someone's putting together like a series of races they're doing like um, regularly finding groups of people to run with or um, um, or just you know with ultras and you know some of the distances that you do and you have to find like you know a small local group that's okay they're doing something along the lines of what I'm trying to do for my training and um, making it more fun which is um, you know it 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 became a little bit of a slog at the beginning um, and um, you know the last you know three to six months or whatever of ultras that I was doing. Um, were really fun, and I had a really good time doing it. And so, there's uh, a couple different things in there, but I think those are kind of the main, the main pieces that uh, I would pull out. Well, let me just say this: I am reassured by hearing you talk about how you didn't feel super confident going into this project. Yeah, I, I know you; you're a confident guy. But you know, when you set a goal this big, there are those feelings of doubt and uncertainty that are inevitably going to come up. But I think when Normal people like me see people like you set these crazy outlandish goals uh, and then methodically go about accomplishing them. You know, we kind of think that you're superhuman, that you you never feel uh, inadequate or that you are always this super confident person. So I, I think it's uh, really telling that you had those feelings of, of not very high confidence yourself, uh, just for us normal folks who have more uh, attainable goals. Uh, so I think that's, uh, that's really great. Uh, and then the other thing that I wanted to talk about, too, is, you know, this idea of, is it better to do an ultra marathon every other month or to do more of them in like a two month or three month window? And of course, the injury risk is going to be higher if you're doing four of them in, you know, a couple months or something like that. But there is something to be said, I think, of doing them all in a more compressed time frame because just like you said, you know, there's the period of training to get you ready to do, you know, these distance races. And then you kind of have to be on to be able to do the race, mm -hmm. you know, in, in like training terms, we would call it uh, you are peaking. So that's why you taper at the end of a training program. You know, you rest a little bit, you cut down the volume, but maintain the intensity. And what does that do? Well, it makes you rested, but sharp, and then you can perform really well in your goal race. Now you can only stay in that kind of zone of, of optimal racing performance for only so much time. You know, you're going to have to take some time off. You're going to have to rest and recover. And then even after a week of resting and recovering, you're really not at 100%. So mm -hmm. how do you stay in that zone of optimal performance for a long period of time? For a year, I'd say it's impossible. There's almost no way you can do that. But if you're just going to run a couple races in, say, a two-month window, then it is possible. You can certainly, especially for distance races, you know, when you're not, you know, if you were training to run the mile which mm -hmm. is very fast, very intense, you know, it's a controlled sprint the whole way, then probably not, you know, you're probably not going to be able to stay in peak shape for a two month window. You know, you're going to start to get, you know, burned out, overtrained. But for endurance races, I think it's a lot more um, uh, possible. And, you know, you showed that you demonstrated that. Um, so I, I think that's a that's a good a good approach. Uh, you know, one that certainly has some drawbacks to it, but I think one that does have some some upside as well. 
Yeah, and 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 the nice part about it is um, the fun aspect of like if you do stack races and and some of them can be like you're the coach, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna override anything. But from a training perspective, like a lot of times I would have long runs and I would just go out and run 22 miles on my own and like. I needed to run 22 miles because I need to be on my feet for X amount of time or whatever. And it was, you know, at that point where, you know, where I was physically, there, there wasn't a big difference between me running, um, uh, 22 and 26 because I training for 40, 45 mile race. And for me, you almost get the, you know, four miles extra is, you know, what, what it is, but, having the ability to run that with other people and having like a crowd there or even like, you know, some of these small marathons where it's just like, you know, there's other people that you're seeing, like there's a morale piece there and um, making it fun was a, a real big piece where I remember early on when I was doing these training runs, like I'd get to like 20 miles and I'm like, you know, there's just like a, it, it, it was, it was a little demoralizing after a while. You're just like, I'm just doing all these runs and I'm out here by myself all the time. And it's like, um, finding out a way to make them fun and, and, you know, stacking the races, um, you know, sure there was a novelty aspect to, you know, being in a new location all the time, but like just having the people around you running and, and being able to like, um, tap into the energy of the crowd and the energy of, um, you know, just other runners, um, made it feel a lot more doable, um, staying in that shape, staying in those, you know, distances. Cause I was going to have to do some, you know, longer runs one way or another. So, um, the fact that I was able to, you know, pull some of the ultras into it and make you know, a couple of them an ultra, um, it, it was super helpful. I feel for me for, you know, making sure that I was maintaining that, um, you know, athletic capability, but also like just improving my morale and, and making sure I, I, I kept going. Yeah. Improving morale is, is almost necessary when you're running super long distances and you, most people would, would argue, I think with a very good point that what you're doing is just very boring. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there's definitely that. And I use the same strategy with, with a lot of my runners just on a smaller scale. So they'll have mm -hmm. a 13, 14, 15 mile long run scheduled. And they're like, Hey, can I run this local half marathon? And sure, that's a great idea. You know, as long as you're not racing the half marathon, if you just yep. want to do it for the crowd and the support and just the kind of spectacle of the race, then, you know, there's no difference if you're running it with, you know, 5,000 of your closest friends or you're doing it alone, as long as you're mm -hmm. doing the running that you need to do as part of your training. Um, yep. let, let's talk about the impact that this project has made. Um, you know, obviously you've, you raised the money to build seven schools, um, but you know, was it, was it just the seven schools? Cause I know you actually exceeded your initial goal. So kind of walk us through, you know, what this project means for, uh, not just pencils of promise, but you know, the communities that actually are getting schools built as a result of you run around the world. Yeah. So that's, that's the exciting part, right? So, um, the, the totals that we ended up raising was, um, so by the, the time I had finished race seven, um, uh, we had raised $156,000 and the goal was seven schools at uh, $175,000. And so we were like 19, 19 K short. And so, um, I, I had the opportunity to go to, um, Laos on the way, um, I think through Australia on the way to, um, South Africa and, um, got to see some of the communities and like see the first school that was ever built. And a lot of these kids don't have, 
Um, you know, the, the schools that they have, um, you know, they don't have light coming in. We, uh, they don't have uh, the rain's made of metal, so it's, it's super loud. Um, they can't see. They can't read really much. Uh, the floor is made of dirt. Uh, they don't have bathrooms all the time. And so um, one of the things that, you know, Pencils Promise does is they come in and they build better schools. So the physical buildings um, are more conducive to a learning environment. But the other things that they do is they also, you know, provide scholarships for kids. They provide teacher trainings. Um, they, uh, you know, invest in the communities and create um, wellness programs so the kids don't get sick all the time, so they have clean water to drink. And so the actual impact of the school of 777 is we're going to build seven schools um, and probably two in Ghana, two in Guatemala, two in uh, uh, Laos, which are all the communities that they, they work in. Um, and each of those schools, I believe, serves uh, about 100 kids a year. And so that's, you know, 700-ish uh, students that are now going to have a chance to, um, um, to be able to, uh, you know, have an education every year and learn basic stuff like reading, writing, um, you know, basic stuff. It's not this, you know, overpriced college educations. It's like the, the stuff you need to be able to contribute to society and, you know, provide, um, you know, opportunity for them. Um, and so we ended up raising through impossible and, you know, um, surrounding community 156 to start and then um we ended up uh talking to jesse itzler who is uh speaking of david goggins he jesse itzler wrote a book called living with the seal where he invited david goggins to come live with him for 30 days and uh train him for 30 days and so i had read i had known about david for a long time and i i read jesse's book and jesse has a group called we do hard stuff where he has basically a fitness challenge every single month and he challenges people to uh, do the fitness challenge, uh, which usually involves like way too many burpees. Um, you know, it's it's a whole series of uh, uh, different workouts that you do. And then for each finisher um, of the challenge, he donates a uh, hundred dollars to a charity. And so, um, you know, I I known about David. I found out about Jesse, and I found out about his group. And you know, Jesse and I talk about a lot of the same things. He talks about, you know. Um, his uh, his Twitter handle is the hundred mile man, and so he ran a hundred mile race uh, a few years back ago. And um, you know he's into ultra marathons um, and running hills, and um, I'm into ultra marathons and you know doing hard stuff. And he talks about jumping into a frozen lake in the winter, and I talk about cold showers. And so we found out a lot of ways that we have um, you know we basically talk about the same concepts and uh, have very similar mindsets. And I found out about his. Uh, nonprofit uh causes and i was like hey what do you think about uh dedicating one month to pencils of promise and whatever you donate uh i'll end up matching and um we ended up uh he he decided to go ahead and do that um in june um he did that we had another entrepreneur match uh uh jesse's donation and so i think through june we ended up raising another um along with community contributions that donated from that group uh, I believe $36,000 uh, in June from that group uh, and that initiative on its own. And so um, uh, together we ended up raising, uh, you know, total, that was like school number seven. Um, together, I think that was $192,000 total, um, which is, you know, almost 20 grand over what our uh, initial goal was. And so, um, you know, a bunch of the funds are going to go right to the schools and then anything um, beyond is probably going to go to teacher training or, um, you know, some of the wellness programs, but, um, 
it's it's cool in a lot of ways, both because um, you know we got to partner with uh, someone um, doing very similar things like Jesse um, that has very similar mindset. But it's also cool that um, you know beyond just the schools, uh, people get really excited about the buildings. But beyond just the schools, um, there are programs that Pencils of Promise puts in place to make it sustainable, to make it long term, to make it last. Uh, not just the education pieces of the kids' lives, but that's where they are for eight hours a day. And so how can you help improve their lives for those eight to 10 hours a day that they're at school um, um, rather than at home? And, and how, how can you make sure that there are bathrooms there and there's water there and there's you know teachers that are equipped to continue teaching and teach better every single year? So um, you know that's kind of the impact. Uh, seven schools, $192,000, um, and uh, hopefully a lot of uh, opportunities for kids uh, around the world. Well, Joel, I'm impressed and and really just kind of in awe of of all the good that you've done in the world. And you know, I consider this such a win 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 kind of a project. You know, it it benefited you. It benefited, I'm sure your, uh, you know, your business with just the visibility and exposure you got. But you know, most importantly, it made a lot of schools, and it's going to help about 700 kids every single year get the basic education skills that they need to hopefully. Uh, escape poverty if if that's a challenge that they're dealing with and and really contribute to uh, to the global economy. So, um, you know, I think this level of philanthropy is, you know, by someone who isn't sitting on, you know, a pile of Scrooge McDuck gold coins is is really impressive and something that we should all, uh, you know, be in awe of. So, you know, beyond 777, do you have any plans for continuing to give back, doing additional challenges or, or other projects? Not exactly like this, but maybe of a similar magnitude. Um, so right now I'm doing, uh, as as you have coached me to do, I'm trying to uh, rehab and, and find projects that are, uh, not projects, but running, um, running challenges that are fast and fun. So uh, I'm working on those um, from a nonprofit standpoint. Um, I'm actually doing a thing at Jesse's. He's got a project called Hell on the Hill, and uh, you run up and down a hill uh, like a hundred times, um, and uh, he donates to charity for the finishers. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, that's not like a specific running project, but the goal with Seven 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 is to keep you know sharing sharing the story, sharing what is possible, hopefully inspiring other people. Um, you know, if they've got something that they're like, Hey, this would be really cool, but I'm kind of scared and I don't know if I can do it. Um, hopefully inspire them to do something along those lines. And, uh, you know, I think every time I finish a race, I'm like, I'm never doing something like that again. And then, you know, I find another race or I find another event and I'm like, Whoa, that's really cool. So the, the race that I've got kind of in the back of my mind is there's a, a race in Iceland, basically across the country. It's called the fire and ice ultra. And um, I don't know at this point when I'm going to be ready for that or, um, you know, if we're going to attach a charity piece to it. But um, we do we on an ongoing basis, um, we have a community um, at impossible.org, which is sort of where we do a lot of the, the nonprofit and the giving aspects of impossible through um, that donates on a regular basis to Kiva, which is a nonprofit that provides loans to um entrepreneurs in developing countries and so while i have you know you know we've done a couple big running projects that do projects uh for spend pencils of promise on an ongoing basis um sort of a ongoing thing that we continually do we have we've donated i think close to fifty thousand dollars to entrepreneurs through kiva 
Um, and uh, that's just kind of a you know a monthly thing that people do on a regular basis. And um, so yeah, so that's kind of like the the everyday thing. But the, you know, hopefully we we continue to do projects. It's good for me. I like to challenge myself, and it's a good reason for me to you know make sure I stay far far outside my comfort zone. So. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure I'll have something for you in the, the, the coming months or years. I love it. Well, best of luck with all your, your future projects and, and challenges, uh, physically and with running, uh, everything around that. And also, um, you know, keep us updated on your most recent philanthropical adventures and, and challenge adventures. You know, these are things that I don't do enough of myself. You know, I'd love to do a 30 day challenge sometime soon and really challenge myself to do something I've never done before. Uh, and you're someone that I really look to for inspiration when it comes to, you know, challenging yourself to do something physical that you've never done before. So uh, thanks for that, Joel. And thanks so much for sharing the story of the 777 Project. Uh, I think you accomplished your goal and uh, inspired a lot of people today. Thanks so much for having me on, man. Um, I was going to say right before I go, uh, you're out in Colorado. You got those mountains right there. I'll I'll come out and uh, we'll we'll find some adventure to go do do out there and uh, we'll make it happen. Sounds awesome. Open invite anytime you want. Awesome. All right, man. We'll we'll talk to you later. Thanks. And that concludes my interview with Joel Runyon. Joel is doing some really big, exciting, and impactful things around the world. More than anything, I want you to think a little bit more like Joel. Ask yourself, how can you use running to not just improve yourself, but improve the world? How can this wonderful sport that we all love so much be used as an instrument for good, for progress, and for improving the lives of our fellow runners, and people all around the world. I hope you found these two episodes inspiring. And let's also not forget to thank our sponsor, Health IQ, for making this show possible. They're a special type of insurance company that helps health-conscious people, like us runners, get lower life insurance rates. Now, historically, runners have been penalized for things like family history and other attributes, but not rewarded for our healthy lifestyles. Health IQ changes that. They've gathered science and data to convince insurance companies that health-conscious folks like runners deserve lower rates. And since the research has shown avid runners have a 41% lower risk of heart disease and up to a 35% lower risk of early death, they've been successful. Over the last three years, they've helped tens of thousands of athletes secure billions of dollars of coverage. Want to see if you qualify? Go to healthiq.com slash strengthrunning to see how much money running can save you on life insurance. And that's all for me today. I hope your running is going well, you're improving, feeling fast, and running strong. 